Thanks for listening to the podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sunday, visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. Hi there, River's Edge. Uh, Matt Deason here. We had a great Sunday this week, uh, concluding our series in Isaiah and the Prophets. And then we uh, lost the recording for the, the podcast. The file got corrupted, which uh, happens every so often. But we had enough people uh, kind of reaching out, asking about the podcast, that we wanted to um, just make an attempt to kind of re-record uh, this one for um, the sake of, of the series and those who weren't able to be with us and all of you who listen in uh, to the podcast on a regular basis. And so uh, we'll re-record what happened on Sunday. Uh, we kind of started this Sunday um, by uh, me jumping up and actually asking Annie to uh, share, Annie Quatier, our worship director, and just share a little bit about what God has been doing in her life over the last few weeks, the last month or so. Um, and it was really encouraging to many who were there. And so we are um, at a network conference at Lake Tahoe in a little cabin out on the lake. Um, but uh, I'm here with my wife and our infant, and Annie's here with us. And so I said, hey, Annie, I have to re-record this, uh, this podcast. Would you be willing to just share again a little bit uh, just from your life about uh, what God's been doing? So, Annie, I'll hand it over to you. Great. Thank you, Matt. Um, yeah, so God has been teaching me a lot recently about finding my identity and my confidence in him. Um, and yeah, I felt like I was supposed to share the last three weeks or so as other people were sharing during the gathering, but I didn't. Um, but yeah, I also just really believe that when God speaks to you, it's meant to be shared for the edifying of other people. So I'm just going to share again for all of you podcast listeners, um, I had the privilege of going down to Los Angeles and participating in a conference that Bethel was putting on. Um, and before I keep going, I just want to make this straight. Um, I know a lot of us have been speaking about different conferences and retreats, etc. that we've been at. Um, and yeah, I just want to be clear and say that God just doesn't speak to you just when you go to a different location or a retreat like we're at. Um, He's speaking to you right now, wherever you are, in your car, during your workout, God's speaking to you. Um, so as I participated in the conference and just through the teachings that I heard and the musical worship, um, I started to realize that I just didn't actually believe that God loved me. And I had so many lies in my head about who I was. And yeah, it, you're probably thinking, man, that's really sad. And it was. Um I didn't believe that I was cherished, that I was unique, that I was his masterpiece. And yeah, I just really functioned as an orphan. Um, I worshiped on Sunday with lies in my head about my musicianship. And I'd close my guitar case and just say, I'm never going to do that again. And I was comparing myself to everyone around me. Um, yeah, just a really sad place to be. And I started to realize a lot of that um, during the conference. Um, and I think that some of you listening might actually be experiencing lies in your head as well about who you are and um, just want to declare that those are straight from the enemy. And I think it's really easy to function in a space where we just don't actually believe that we are who God says we are. Um, 
Do you really truly believe that you are who God says you are, that you're loved, that you're cherished, that you're his masterpiece? Um, It might seem really elementary to some of you who have been following Jesus for a long time, but I just want to ask you, do you actually believe that or are you believing lies? Um, Yeah, and God just really did a work in me at this conference. Um, As I realized God's love for me and as I recognized the lies, I felt like God was just as we continued to worship, I felt like God was giving me the authority to stomp them out. And I was literally like stomping on the ground during the conference. Um, And I just felt like during that time, God re-spoke his identity over me. Um, He told me that I'm cherished, that I'm loved, that I'm his child. And this wasn't just me. I think there were others around me in the room that were experiencing something similar. And yeah, I just felt like everything was feeding off of itself and the room was just really electric with God's love. Um, so yeah, I just want to share some truth with you all who are listening today. Um, the truth of the matter is that when the Son of God, when Jesus died on the cross, our old self died. Our sins died dead on a cross. And I just want to ask the question, how many of you actually believe that? Like, do you believe that you are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms and that your sin is actually now a choice? Um, I think some of us are still living with lies in our head, with negative self-talk. Maybe it's about past sins, past things you've done. Um, You might worship on Sunday and just be praising God. Man, God, I love you. And then you wake up with lies in your head on Monday as you scroll through Instagram. Um... Yeah, I just want to ask you, do you actually believe that your sin died dead on a cross and that you're seated in the heavenly realms with Jesus? And man, when it comes to fear, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Um, Yeah, do you believe that? Do you believe that you have been given a sound mind by the blood of Jesus on the cross? And man, I just really want to encourage us to think about our self-talk, think about lies that might be going through our head and really about our relationship with God and ask ourselves, do I believe that what God says of me is true? And do I believe that he loves me? And if the answer is yes, then come on. It's so good. Amen to that. And I honestly do pray for more of that in your life. Um, more of you refinding your identity in Christ. Um, but if the answer is no, I just want to encourage you to really press in and pray about that and pray with others around you about that. Um, If you're listening with people right now, um, pray with them about it. And if you come to River's Edge, come and receive prayer from the prayer team or ask one of the leaders to pray for you or someone around you. We'd love to pray for you because I just really believe that God wants to speak a new identity over you. whether you're coming to know Jesus for the first time or have known him for many, many years. Um, So just as I close, I want to read a scripture over us today that um, really helps us claim our identity in Christ. Um, This scripture has been spoken over me over the last few months um, and spoken out during our pre-gathering prayer. And yeah, I just want to share it here. This is from um, the first part of Isaiah 61, and it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, 
to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And I'm just going to pray. God, thank you for each and every person who is listening right now. And um, God, for each of these people, if um, they feel like they are in a place where they're experiencing lies from the enemy, God, I just pray that you would wash that away in the name of Jesus and pray that you would surround them with people who know them well and can speak truth into their lives. Um, and ultimately, God, would you just continue to re-speak your identity over us um, in the same way that you did to me at this conference. God, I pray the same thing for everyone who's listening today. In your name I pray. Amen. Awesome. Thanks, Annie. And um, it's just so good. And I love that uh, story. And even uh, as Annie you shared with the, the group uh, on Sunday, uh, I was just reminding uh, everyone who was gathered there, uh, just what a healthy reminder it is that everybody uh, faces those things. Um, whether you're on staff at a church or you're a pastor or you're not, sometimes we have this mental divide and we think, oh, if you if you work for a church, then surely like you get everything. Um, and you just walk in your identity and everything's awesome and you're not, you know, susceptible to the lies of the enemy. And that's not true for me. Uh, it's not true for any, that's not true of any human being. Uh, and so I, I love, um, what Annie shared and in, in the way that it helps to break that down in our mind and, and put us all in the same boat that we're all together. We need one another and uh, we need community. We need people praying for us. Uh, we need all of it in order to actually walk in the fullness of what, God has for us. No one is immune to that. We all uh, need God. We need one another. So um, that was that was great. Um, we are going to uh, continue and conclude uh, our teaching through um, the the book of Isaiah. And really, it's been uh, focusing on Isaiah and the prophets. And so if you've been with us for the last seven weeks, you know um, that's been our focus. Uh, we've given special attention to the book of Isaiah, but really we've been kind of asking these questions along the way. Who were uh, the prophets? Uh, what was their job? Why are so many of the Old Testament books devoted to the prophets? Uh, and how do their words spoken thousands of years ago intersect with our world today? Uh, those are just some of the questions that we've been wrestling with uh, over the last couple months through this series. Uh, and we answered some of those questions by stating that the prophet was a man or a woman uh, chosen by God and anointed for the task of speaking God's words in God's timing uh, to the nation of Israel or the surrounding nations. And at one point, uh, the nation of Israel actually fractures into two. And then you have some prophets who are sent to uh, Judah, which is the one half. And you have other prophets who are sent to Israel, uh, which is the other half. And then sometimes they call Judah uh, Israel. And it all gets a bit confusing. Uh, but no matter who the prophet was speaking to or what time period they lived in in Israel's history, they spoke a consistent two-part message to the nation of Israel. Uh, the first was a message of judgment, uh, ultimately culminating in exile. And the second was a message of hope. Hope concerning who God was and what he was going to do in their future. And so the prophets essentially said, hey, you've refused to repent and now you will go into exile for your sin and your rebellion. But 
hope is on the horizon. First off, the prophet said, when you call out to God from your exile, he will answer you. He will bring you back to the land. But that's not all. There were several significant themes regarding future hope that the prophets consistently spoke of. Uh, First, the prophets consistently spoke of a victorious king or a messiah or an anointed one who God would send to rescue them. And they believed that this uh, messiah, this anointed one, was going to usher in a new expression of the kingdom of God on earth. So they were waiting for this singular individual, as we talked about a few weeks ago. Uh, Next, uh, the the people, uh, God promised through the prophets that one day the people would have new hearts as part of a new covenant, which would involve the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. God says, hey, one day I will form a new covenant with the people of God, and and the Spirit is going to be poured out, not on one or two prophets, but on all of my people, and and, and people are going to have new hearts. They're going to be renewed from the inside out. Uh, And finally, uh, the prophets spoke or prophesied that one day there would be a new heavens and a new earth. And that's what we'll focus in on today, starting in Isaiah uh, chapter 11. So if you're following along, uh, this is Isaiah uh, chapter 11, verse 1. This is what it says. It says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. So this is a descendant of David. And from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with a rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. One day, Isaiah says, the Messiah will come, this descendant of David, and he will judge between the nations. The wicked will perish, and a new age will be ushered in. Something that looks completely different than anything we have experienced up to this point. The wolf will live with the lamb, the calf with the lion, little children will play amongst all of them, and everyone will be at peace. There will be a new world order. And, Isaiah says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. 
He says that just as the ocean is by definition flooded with water, so too the world will be flooded with the presence of God as the water covers the sea. How much of the sea is covered in water? Isaiah is saying, hey, what what percentage? Like, think about that. How much of the ocean is covered by water? Well, all, all of it. And Isaiah is saying, hey, that's what the new heavens and the new earth will be like. Every square inch will be flooded, covered with the presence of God. He says, the wicked will be done away with, and every square inch will be cleansed, remade, reimagined, reinvigorated, and flooded with the presence of the living God. This was the future that God promised through the prophets. In fact, Isaiah says in Isaiah 2, he says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. Isaiah says, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will come to God and there will be unity between them. No more war, no more strife, no more us versus them. The lion, the lamb, and all people in unity with one another under the kingship of God himself. Isaiah continues, he says, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations, this curse that is hanging over creation. Isaiah says, he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. All God's people will come to a banquet table and death will be done away with forever. Think about that. Death will be destroyed. He will wipe every tear from every eye and we will at last see him face to face. Isaiah goes on. Now this is Isaiah speaking to God. He says, Your dead will live, Lord. Your dead will live. Their bodies will rise or be resurrected. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. And we could go on and on. This is just from the book of Isaiah. But what you see in all of this is that the prophets were given the privilege of seeing reality from God's perspective. They received God's vantage point on certain events in their past, in their immediate present, and in their future. And they spoke of this future time, this eternal age to come, in which we wouldn't be swept up into the clouds 
and exist in a disembodied heaven, sort of floating from cloud to cloud and playing harps and, and all of that, but rather the prophets pictured a future as a day in which heaven would come to earth. God would bring heaven, his rule and his reign, down to earth. The wicked would be done away with. The dead who trusted in God would rise again from the dead, and they would exist with him in a very real, very physical kingdom of God on earth, a place that is flooded with the presence of God as the waters cover the sea. The curse over creation is finally done away with. Death itself is swallowed up in victory. And people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will come together at the banquet table of God and be his people. See, God says, this is from Isaiah 65. See, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. This was the future that the faithful in Israel put their hope in. And because they were rooted in the writings of the prophets, most of the faithful in Israel believed in the coming of the Messiah. And they believed in the eternal kingdom of God. But the problem was that the prophets wrote about those two events side by side. They blurred the lines as they wrote. There wasn't a hard comma between those thoughts. And so in the Jewish mind, the coming of the Messiah and the end of the age were one in the same event, which is one of the reasons that Jesus was so controversial. Most people in his day and age, by saying, this man is the Messiah, were not only making a statement about Jesus' identity, who he was, they were also making a statement about what they believed Jesus was going to do. In the mind of many Israelites, the Messiah would ride through the east gate in Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, as the prophets prophesied. He would enter the city as king, and it would be the beginning of the end of all pagan empires. And in fact, the beginning of the end of the age. Why did they believe that? Because they were reading the prophets. And when you read the writings of the prophets, you can't tell that there's a gap. It would seem, according to Isaiah and others, that the Messiah would come and there would be a new covenant, a cleansing of hearts, a forgiveness of sin, a pouring out of the Spirit, and judgment and a doing away with the wicked and the end of the world, all as one uninterrupted movement. They believed that all of their future hopes would happen at once. And if you want proof, 
you can go right now today to the east gate of Jerusalem. And what you'll see surrounding the east gate and spreading out in every direction is thousands and thousands of Jewish graves. All of them aimed at the east gate. All of them awaiting the arrival of the Messiah. Now, why would you bury your dead right next to the east gate? Well, because in the Jewish mind, the Messiah would enter the city and the dead would be resurrected. The end of the age would come. There would be a new heavens and a new earth. And so they buried their dead there thinking, as the Messiah enters a new age, shortly after that, the new age will be ushered in, the dead will rise, and we want front row seats. We want to be the first ones to rise from the dead to be resurrected. And so you have uh, this, Im- this, this story in the gospel of Jesus entering through the east gate, riding on a donkey, and anticipation is through the roof. People are throwing down palm branches. They're cheering for him. And after he enters the east gate, not a lot happens. He goes and he flips tables in the temple. And, and he told people to pay taxes to Caesar. In fact, I think part of why people turned on Jesus and called for his crucifixion is that they were bitterly disappointed in him. But that's a a whole nother teaching for another day. Uh, The point I want us to see is this. The future hopes that the prophet spoke of were actually going to happen in stages. The Messiah did come and died for their sin, as Isaiah himself predicted. A new covenant was formed between God and humanity, not based on morality or human righteousness or human striving or religiosity, but based on the blood of Jesus and the righteousness of God. And you and I are a part of that covenant that the prophets spoke of. And we are uniquely filled as followers of Jesus. We are uniquely filled by the Spirit of God in a way that the Israelites never were. And so much of what the prophets spoke of has been fulfilled in and through Jesus and actually in and through us as as the new covenant people. But even as we operate as this new humanity, inviting all of humanity into this new covenant with God, we too, just like the Israelites, are awaiting the victorious return of the Messiah and the end of the age. If you do have your Bible open, I'll ask you to turn with me one last time uh, to the book of Revelation. This is Revelation 20, verse 11. So this is all the way in the last couple pages of your Bible, the last pages of Scripture. Uh, And it's amazing we're reading the Bible in a year. And as you read through, uh, the Bible actually says that everyone from Abraham onward uh, was looking forward to this future place, uh, an eternal place, the city of God, which God himself would create, where we would be with him and be his people and um, God would be our 
God. Uh, that's been God's goal from page one of Scripture. Uh, but here in Revelation 20, at the very end, uh, we get a glimpse of the end of this age and the beginning of the next one. And this is what it says. This is Revelation 20. John says, Then I saw a, a great white throne and him who was seated on it, The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in them, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, or death was swallowed up in victory. It's destroyed, to borrow the words of Isaiah. The lake of fire, John says, is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. For the first heavens and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God down to earth, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Does that sound familiar? There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Our ultimate hope at the end of the age, is that God will cleanse the universe of all evil, renew it and flood it with his presence, and resurrect his people into that world. And I think some of us need a reminder of that this morning, that that hope is out front. Particularly those of you who are struggling with chronic illness and pain, Those who have been struggling under the weight of depression and anxiety for years now. Those who have been limping through family struggles and dysfunction for years now. We need that reminder that we are exiles here. We are not home. We are not free in the fullest sense of the word. But complete and radical freedom is coming. And we, in the here and now, need to operate in light of that future. When suffering comes, when struggle comes, we were meant to have an eternal perspective. And Paul tells us in his letter to the Romans, he says that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Really? I mean, really, Paul? Not worth comparing 
because my struggles feel pretty real to me right now. Many of you know uh, that these last two months have easily been some of the best in the life of our church. Um, God has been moving in incredible ways, and I've spent most of the last two months just standing in awe of God uh, and in so many in our church and what God is doing uh, in and through you guys. Uh, But if I'm honest, over these last two weeks in particular, I've just been struggling. Uh, I've been fighting burnout and exhaustion and just feeling depleted and feeling the weight of the sin and the brokenness and disappointment of our city. I'm just resting heavy on me. And so for reasons that I can hardly understand, it just hasn't been an easy couple of weeks. Uh, But whenever I feel discouraged in life or in ministry or whatever it is, I go back to this promise. I meditate on this promise. And sometimes I just go and I walk Uh, through the forest by my house and I whisper to the trees and the birds and the hills and the mountains it's coming you you are like an empty wine glass waiting to be filled with the presence of God as the water covers the sea and one day you will be full And sometimes I I walk through the forest and I walk up the hill uh, by our house and I I walk at the top of the hill, there's a a graveyard. And sometimes I just walk up there and just kind of pray and just walk through the graveyard. And I remind myself, I whisper to myself, it won't be long. It won't be long. This life, it's a vapor. It's here for a moment and then it vanishes. But... That's not the end. And I'm not planning to die anytime soon. And I'm not planning to have a gravestone if I do. Uh, But if I did, I would want it to say three words. I will arise. And you could go in the ancient world and see Jewish graves Uh, scattered all across the ancient world that said simply, I will arise. My hope is not set on any happiness or lack of happiness in this life. My hope is set on the new heavens and the new earth. And brothers and sisters, we are not there yet. And so our task as new covenant people is to be rooted in the present with our eyes fixed firmly on our future, eagerly anticipating the day when Jesus returns to usher in the new heavens and the new earth. As we close, um, I just want to read one last scripture over us. And uh, this is is from Romans 8, which is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. But this is uh, Romans 8, starting in verse 18. Paul says this. He says, I consider that our present sufferings, as real as they are, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. 
For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed or unmasked or resurrected, brought back from the dead in glory. For creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. In other words, one day all of it will be resurrected. All of it will be made new. Our bodies, the birds, the sea, the land, the stars, all of it. Paul continues, he says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, all of us who are filled with the Holy Spirit as part of the new covenant, Paul says, even we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption or resurrection of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is not seen, the hope that is seen is no hope at all. I'll say that again. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Let's pray. God, uh, I pray for my brothers and sisters, for anybody uh, who follows along with us uh, by podcast. And I pray in particular, God, uh, for those who are groaning inwardly. Uh, and as Paul says, all of us are kind of in that boat. All of creation is groaning inwardly as we, as we lean toward the future, as we eagerly anticipate the complete liberation, the, the doing away of death and evil, the eternal age. Uh, and in the fullness of the kingdom of God. Uh, but I pr- pray in particular, God, for, uh, for my brothers, for my sisters who are, are, are very aware of their groaning this morning, who sense that inner groaning and the pain of this life, whether it's a disease or disappointment uh, or frustrations or family, family issues, um, maybe facing divorce, whatever it is, God, we're all kind of up against that stuff. We're all faced with the brokenness of this world um, and, and that curse hanging over creation. We all face death. We're all groaning inwardly as we um, face our own brokenness and the brokenness of those around us. And so I pray for those uh, who are really in tune with their own groaning this morning, who maybe that feels like their primary experience. Uh, and I pray that you would meet them in that, Jesus, and that you would remind them, that you would whisper to them about that future, that you would lift some of the weight off of them as they eagerly anticipate the new heavens and the new earth. Would you clear our vision Jesus, would you sort of lift that veil and give us a clear vision uh, of the kingdom of heaven, the fullness of the kingdom of heaven that's on the horizon, that's just over the, the bend of space and time, just out of sight. We can't, we can't see it yet, but we hope for it and we're anticipating it. And God, would you make that hope real for us as we go through the day today? And Jesus, we thank you 
that we have the first fruits of the Spirit, uh, that the Holy Spirit is alive and at work within us. And the scriptures say, even all of that, all that the Spirit is doing in us is, is first fruits. It is pointing us forward to that day when you will return in glory and usher in the new heavens and the new earth. God, would you teach us to be a prophetic people that rests on the promises of the prophets, that rests on the promises of scripture and eagerly anticipates a new heavens and a new earth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.